Just a moment, Mark Brickman is going to come and bring the word to us today from Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 to 23, in which I'll begin reading. But just before that, to set the scene, if you do have a Bible, please do turn to that with me, Daniel chapter 6. So before we read, just a recap of what's going on. Darius, a new ruler of Babylon, has appointed Daniel to head up the administration of his empire. The administrators serving under Daniel plot Daniel's downfall. They persuade Darius to issue a decree that anyone praying to any god or human being other than Darius in the next 30 days should be thrown into the lion's den. So we pick up chapter 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. Then said to Daniel, then the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty." The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Mark and I'm on the leadership team here and welcome to you. If you've recently joined the church, uh, I look forward to meeting you. Well, the image of Daniel in the lion's den is iconic, of course. You find it on the outside and the inside of churches across Europe and across the Middle East from ancient times. And I wonder how you visualize this scene. 
Like you may have a picture of it from Rubens' painting in your mind where there's a young Daniel who is praying while circled by lions. But in fact, when this is written, Daniel is in his mid to late 80s. His greatest trial is coming near the very end of his life. And so this passage speaks about perseverance in times of trial and testing. Now, don't switch off if you're, if you're not in your mid-80s. I want to assure you that this message is for everyone. And that is because part of my burden this morning is to show that how you face the greatest spiritual test of your life will be determined by the spiritual habits that you've pursued and how you've faced a thousand earlier and smaller tests. At the start of chapter 6, Darius has just been made a ruler of Babylon. And Darius has come in, uh, he's part of the Persian Empire, and he promotes Daniel in his workplace. Darius makes him administrative head of the entire Persian Empire. And the result is secret opposition from 122 administrators who are serving under Daniel. They resent this hated exile from Jerusalem. They envy his rank. They're threatened by his character. We read that Darius actually appoints Daniel so that the king might not suffer loss. In other words, corruption is rife. And Darius can see that Daniel walks a different kind of walk. Twice, in fact, in this passage, Darius will talk about how Daniel serves his God continually. And it's with admiration that Darius says that. And so Daniel's enemies turn on him and um, they seek to corner him in the only way they can. They can't do it on the basis of his character, which is uh, pure. They can't accuse him of COVID parties at number 10. No. Daniel will uh, later say of the angel who protects him, I was found innocent in his sight, in the sight of that angel. And instead, Darius's, uh, Daniel's enemies have Darius pass a decree. And the decree says this, that for 30 days, no one is to pray to any god or any person other than Darius, the king himself. Because these administrators know of Daniel's prayer life. They know he's a follower of Yahweh. They know that he hurries home each day at midday from work precisely in order to be able to pray in front of an open window facing Jerusalem. He's a man marked by deep devotion and public integrity of faith. And if they can catch him in prayer, he'll face death among the lions. End game. Our spiritual promotion will often bring spiritual opposition. Jesus said, you will have trouble in this life. He wants us to be squarely realistic about the fact that we're all going to face trials and tests. And this account of Daniel, it's not some ancient fable. It describes spiritual reality today. 
To put it plainly, new levels, new devils. Some of you will be facing unfair accusation in your workplaces right now, or perhaps within your families. Not in spite of your spiritual purity, but precisely because of it. Perhaps accusation is dogging you, and yet that mustn't hold you back. Jesus says we'll all face such pressures from one time to another. God is supreme, but Jesus also teaches that there is a false accuser who prowls around us like a lion. And the enemy of our souls wants to hold us back from greater spiritual authority and greater spiritual influence. And he moves through human agents at times, seeking to intimidate us and to limit our spiritual power. Sometimes the spiritual odds against us are severe. In this case, they're 122 to 1. Daniel is literally pinned against the wall, subject to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. And I remember before I was a Christian how I once laid that kind of law on a believer. I was working uh, as a theatre director at the time, and he was an actor in a theatre production that I was staging. And he was uncomfortable acting in a certain scene which required his character to be quite flirtatious. And he kept kind of blocking my direction in the first week of rehearsal. And when I asked him why, he told me this. He said, since you gave me this role, I've become a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I told him that he had until Friday that week to decide whether he was going to play the scene as directed or leave this acting company. <coughs> to my shame, I presented him with a dilemma which must have caused great anguish in his soul. And this is the dilemma that Daniel faces. And the threat hanging over his head is death. And that Friday, the actor told me his answer. He said he was going to leave the production. He wasn't going to compromise his faith. And that's often left me wondering, as a Christian now myself, what would I have done in his place? God may have whispered to him and said, leave this acting company. We always need to pray for God's wisdom and discernment in that kind of situation. But I've recently seen someone take another route, the Daniel route, right into the mouths of lions, right into the heart of the lion's den. So a few weeks ago at the end of a service here, an undergraduate came forward to me as I was offering prayer. He was about to act in a student production. I was a theatre director for 20 years before becoming ordained. I've never had anybody come forward as an actor to ask for prayer. And now this young man came forward. I'll call him Jake. And he said he was about to act the role of a troubled character in a contemporary play that I know. And he was deeply conflicted because his character in the play swears the whole time 
and takes the name of the Lord in vain. What should he do? What would you do in his place? He faced the Daniel dilemma. But he told me that when he prayed that week, God had said these words to him, I'm putting you into the lion's den. I'm putting you into the lion's den. God apparently wanted him there. God wasn't telling him to leave. God was telling him to stay right where he was and to be faithful to God in that place, that most impossible of situations. Imagine if he was about to face me as the director that I used to be. Sometimes we face private tests and trials as Christians. But the lion's den is different. Ancient kings of this time often hunted lions. And the idea was that they would go out and show the natural world who was the real king of the beasts. And they'd bring the lions back and they would put them in a pit in their palace. Partly as a sign of their supremacy and partly as a feeding ground for their enemies. The lion's den that's described here, it's got a side entrance with a stone that's sealed, and it's also got an upper entrance or window, which is where Daniel is later lifted up. It's like a public bear pit, this place. Daniel didn't just face a private decision about his integrity, he was about to be thrust onto the public stage, into the spotlight, a bit like our brothers and sisters who faced lions in the ancient Colosseum. And his success or his failure in that place would be visible to every single person. Would he bend in and capitulate? Would God somehow do something extraordinary and save him? Would the lions tear him to shreds? When we face the lion's den, we face the most public of possible tests. And that's the test that this actor Jake now faced. God was telling him to enter the lion's den, to stay in the production. And we'll come back in a moment to what happened to him next. But I want you to think about how you would have responded if that decree had come your way. A decree banning you from praying for 30 days. Daniel's been in Babylon 70 years. He knows of the prophecy in the book of Jeremiah that after 70 years, God will restore his exiled people to Jerusalem, the city of their faith, the city of God's presence. Might you have said to yourself, what's the harm not praying for 30 days? I mean, I'm about to be able to exercise unlimited power here as head of this empire for God. 30 days is a small price to pay. Or where's the harm? God is about to return us as an exiled people to Jerusalem. There's no point rocking the boat at this moment. Or even, I can just pray privately or silently. No one need never know. 
Daniel does none of these. He remains true to his public faith. He's spiritually persevering. Like a trained athlete, he's running faster right in the home stretch. He's digging in deeper, speeding up, keeping the finishing line in sight. So we've heard about his crisis. That's the crisis he faces. What is his response? Scripture tells us, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. No, his reaction is immediate. He doesn't waste time bargaining with himself about what he should do. He acts immediately in a way consistent with his beliefs and his values and his trust in God. He goes straight to prayer in his moment of greatest need, just like we see Jesus going to prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane at the hour of his arrest. Daniel bows in prayer three times daily, it says, just as he had done before. And again, imagine the scene. Day and night, Daniel worked amongst treacherous colleagues in Babylon. Just, just imagine what the effect of that suffocating atmosphere must have been for him. How he must have longed to go in the middle of the day to that prayer room where he could look out the window towards Jerusalem. He could have a kind of mountaintop perspective upon his situation and a direct address to God. He could see Jerusalem. He could see that city of his youth, that city of God's chosen people, the city to which they would return. And he could pray for the exile's restoration, for the rebuilding of Jerusalem's temple, for a day of fresh consecration. He could shut out the world of Babylon and he could open the window to God. How he must have loved that. Now the window of that chamber may have been narrow, but the point is he had a vast hope beyond because of the God in whom he trusted. 400 years earlier, King Solomon had prayed to God at the dedication of the Jerusalem temple in 1 Kings 8. And there Solomon prays about a time when he foresees the fact that God's people are going to be exiled. And he prays this, that if these exiles turn back to you, Lord, with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies, which took them captive, and pray to you, towards the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. You see, this is Daniel's calling in prayer. This is his great calling. He's being faithful to Solomon's ancient prayer. In his pr prayer room, Daniel's praying, compelled by the hope of Jerusalem. You need to know the promises of God for your life. The ones written in Scripture. You can face the most narrow window in terms of your daily situation, 
but you have a mighty hope beyond it when you call upon those promises. If you're facing tests and trials, begin in the place of prayer. Shut out the world, lift up your face, and focus squarely upon your God, on God and his covenant promises. The Victorian poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning, she once wrote this line in a sonnet to the husband that she loved. I will not have my thoughts instead of you. I will not have my thoughts instead of you. I don't want my thoughts of you. I want you. And that's where Daniel's coming from in his prayer life. He doesn't want to entertain thoughts in prayer about God. He wants to meet God face to face, deep to deep. He wants to have that personal, direct encounter. And we know that it's often in our times of greatest pressure, greatest trial, that God meets us so powerfully there. So I asked that actor, Jake, what happened once he chose to enter the lion's den and stay in that production. And he said this, I felt a total dependency on God. The absolute necessity of knowing God in that place. That it was God who would have to give him strength because every other odd was against him. And that strengthening for him happened in the place of prayer. After we prayed together, he told me later, he began openly to tell the director and other actors that he wasn't going to speak certain lines of his character. And astonishingly, the director, who was clearly a rather more enlightened director than I had been, agreed and gave him respect. And Jake began openly praying. And other actors would ask him to pray for them during the course of the production. In fact, on every performance night, when he wasn't on stage acting, he'd be in the wings on his knees. As one saint said, we stand tallest and strongest on our knees. Three times a day, Daniel's prayed over the last 70 years. And I just note that too often I fall on my knees in a time of crisis. But Daniel's example reveals this, that your anchor in adversity depends on the prayers you prayed and the spiritual habits that you've set in place over months and years beforehand. Daniel's spiritual resilience is rooted in his trained lifestyle. As the pastor Gordon MacDonald observes, the way of resilience is demanding, demanding, mostly done in secret, often humbling, not always fun. The private time we put in on the track prepares us for the public race that we'll run. And then after the crisis and Daniel's prayerful response, we come now to the crucible moment of the lion's den. Scripture doesn't tell us what happens in that place moment by moment. But we do know this from the text, that Daniel just reads as kind of poised under pressure. That whereas his enemies are like this kind of restless nest of vipers, 
And Darius, the king, is restless with guilt about Daniel's fate. Daniel seems extraordinarily calm, gracious, a non-anxious presence. Not crisis-driven, just God-focused. Look at this painting coming up on the screens. It's by a Victorian artist. Daniel stands with his back turned to the lions, looking up at a window or perhaps the opening that he's going to be lifted up out of, still looking at a narrow window, still with a mighty hope beyond. The Bible tells us that an angel comes to Daniel in that place. Daniel himself tells Darius after his night spent there, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. You're never alone. Even in your time of greatest test and trial, Daniel felt he was entirely isolated, that there were 122 people against him, that there was a flawed king who couldn't save him, and now that he was surrounded by this menagerie of ravenous lions. But a single angel could change everything. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And the Lion of Judah is stronger and more powerful than any mass of lions in Darius's den. Darius will subsequently issue a decree, a second decree, acclaiming Daniel's God. And it says this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. In other words, the holy awe and fear that Daniel carries in his heart towards his God, this angel puts in the hearts of these lions and it shuts their mouths. This is the power of the Lord to deliver us, any one of us, in any situation. When we turn away from compromise, when we trust in him, he can deliver us from lions without. He can deliver us from lions within. Seven years before I chose to follow Jesus, I was uh, in a place of mental turmoil, probably as a result of uh, the kind of behavior that I've talked about and the way I treated that Christian actor. But I remember one day in an argument with a partner, I lost my temper and I literally felt this dark cloud coming down upon me. This cloud descended. And I, I remember I actually fell to the floor. And when I became a Christian, this, this episode, it haunted me. And one of the reasons it haunted me still was because ever since then, I'd had these intrusive thoughts from time to time just disturbing thoughts that would suddenly rise up. And it was like they were coming from some kind of lion or beast inside me. And when I became a Christian, on my second Alpha course, on the Holy Spirit Day, I remember this, that before the ministry time, I went up to 
the room of the hotel that this was taking place in. And I just fell on my knees in that room, completely broken, and I lifted my face to God. And I just pleaded with the Lord to deliver me. I pleaded with him to deliver me. I longed for a purer life, and I told him that. I just, I looked up because I knew now that I had a powerful Lord who can deliver in any situation. And during that ministry time that followed, God came in power. And in five minutes, he shut the mouth of that lion inside me and he sent him packing and he left me worshipping in joy. God can overcome any roaring lion, any lion you're facing in your life. The Bible tells us that before God, even demons tremble. Does this mean that every Christian in every lion's den is saved and delivered? Of course not. And why that doesn't happen is a mystery. But what we do know is that when God's rescue doesn't happen in this life, we still have a guarantee of rescue beyond death. Because Daniel points to one greater who is coming after him. God become man in Jesus Christ who comes to walk on our earth and who is also falsely accused and who is also condemned to death by a ruler who bows cravenly to the crowd and who is also placed in a pit with a stone blocking exit and a seal around that stone and who is then also lifted up from there to new life. 600 years later, a man from Galilee is going to walk exactly the same walk that Daniel's walked, with one difference, that Jesus is going to die. He's going to die in that lion's den for us. That's the extent of his self-sacrifice. But then three days later, we'll be lifted up in resurrection. And in Jesus' resurrection, we see the greatest deliverance. The promise of a rescue for each one of us beyond our deaths. Because of Jesus, the one who persevered, like Daniel, for us who, in the words of the writer of Hebrews, endured, endured the cross for the joy set before him and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And by his rising, each one of us is going to know total deliverance from marauding evil and from the jaws of death and into an eternity of loving union with God. At the cross, Jesus defeats the roaring lion. And at his coming again, he's going to throw that lion down once and for all. Not into a pit of lions, but into a fiery lake. As I listened to Jake's story last week, 
I asked myself one more question. And the question was this. Why doesn't God rescue people before they enter the lion's den? I mean, it's just a pain, isn't it? If he's the all-powerful God, why do we even have to go into the lion's den? He could deliver us in advance. Well, the ways of God are mysterious, but I think we might say this, that it's through Daniel's experience in the lion's den that God is glorified. And not only that, 122 corrupt rulers of this kingdom are then put to death and taken off the scene. The kingdom is cleansed. Deliverance often happens in our moment of greatest trial, not in the days and weeks preceding it. And yet God longs for us each to partner with him in faith. The writer of Hebrews talks of Daniel, who through faith shut the mouths of lions. So at the final night of uh, that production that this actor Jake was in, one of the production team asked him admiringly at something like one o'clock in the morning, how do you do it? And they meant how had he managed to act in this rather violent contemporary play with foul language and remain true to his faith. And she then spent 90 minutes asking him about his faith and saying that she would like to come to church. Jake used his God-given gifts and was entirely faithful to the God he trusted. And I said to him, what did it feel like being in the lion's den? What did that feel like to you? And he said, it felt like I was surrounded by powerful and vocal people who could have torn me apart and chewed me to bits. But they didn't. And in fact, not only didn't they, but they respected him. And Jake said his main prayer to God was this, Father, let me glorify you. Father, let me glorify you. And I just wonder if that was Daniel's prayer before he entered the lion's den. We don't know whether he knew that he would be rescued. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But I think that whatever, that was his prayer. Lord, may you be glorified through this and in this place. So Jake's carried the light of Christ with him into that production and God's been glorified. And let me finish by reading you Darius's second decree where Darius glorifies God after Daniel's rescue. This is a decree that Darius asked to be read throughout his kingdom throughout the Persian Empire. He says, he demands fear and reverence of Daniel's God, quote, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. 
His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So, for each one of us, in the same way, in all our tests and trials, let's pray that God will be glorified. Amen? Amen. Amen.